Her name was Jean Shavender Woolard. It's my grandma on my dad's side. Uh, people who knew her best might have called her Miss Jean. She was an elementary school teacher in a little bitty public elementary school. And anyone ever heard of Cresswell, North Carolina? Most of you haven't, but if you have, you're, you're, you're my people. You're my people. Google it. There's not much there. Uh, but a great, great community. Uh, and my granddad was a preacher at a little church there. And man, people just loved them. But I learned a lot from, uh, they called her Miss Jean. I called her Nanny. We've all got these ridiculous names we give our grandparents. You should never let the youngest people in your family name your matriarchs and patriarchs. But we all do it. Nanny taught me so much. Nanny probably uh, was one of the first people to instill a love for music in me. And so if you know me well, you know that's something I do more than anything else. I love music. Learn that from Nanny. Uh, my love for pickles. I love pickles. Any shape, shot, size, and flavor, I'll give it a try. Nanny always had a new jar of pickles for me in the fridge when I came to visit. And I think that might have contributed to my addiction. Um, I love, but probably the thing I learned the most from Nanny, if I look back, is what it meant to be generous. Man, you couldn't go to her house without leaving with something in your hands. And, and like as a kid, I would go, and there was always a little gift there for me, a little present, something waiting, a new box of crayons, a new He-Man toy, a new Matchbox or Hot Wheels car. I was excited to go see that thing. She'd take you out for ice cream. I, I remember that, uh, like I think until I was 10 or 11 years old, uh, my, my, my nanny, I think she paid for the majority of my shoes and my clothes for like my whole life, and my brother. And I'm pretty sure my parents were thankful for that. So generous, giving, giving. But it wasn't just because we were the grandkids. Like she was extra special on us. But anybody who came to see Nanny, Miss Jean, walked away with something. She would grab you something off her shelf. She's like, you want, yeah, don't take this. I got extra. She would always give you some cookies that she might have. She kept extra gifts, presents, just hiding in her house. And she would keep them underneath her bed. They had this big king-size bed. And I have this memory burned in my brain of my Nanny laying on the ground doing like this soldier crawl underneath her king-size bed. And her little orthopedic shoes were sticking out the bottom. And I walked in. I was like, Nanny, you okay? She's like, it's okay, honey. I'm and she like backed out with this like gift bag and she gave it to some guy in the living room. He was like, oh, Miss Jean, you didn't have to do that. That's a heart of generosity. I hope that you've had somebody that, like that in your life. You, you might have a friend. You, you can't go out to eat with them without them paying for it. Like you try. You try to get the ticket first. You try to like, listen, don't let them pay for my food. Before you know it, it's paid for. Or maybe you've been to a restaurant and randomly you go to pay and it's like, it's covered. You're like, who paid? Who paid for my food? generosity. Or you might have that neighbor who's like always mowing your grass and doing stuff for you. And, and at first you thought they were mad about it. <laughs> but then you're like, wow, they're just so generous. It's a heart of generosity. And we serve a generous God. Like I think that where that comes from in us is that, that our God is a God... We're talking about above and beyond. This has been kind of our theme for a few weeks. And what does it mean to be above and beyond? You know, God could have created a bland, boring, grayscale, nothing, utilitarian world. And we would survive. We'd be robots in a warehouse somewhere and we'd be doing what we need to do. And like that would be our existence. But man, have you ever seen a sunset? Especially over the river over here. Have you ever paid attention to your hands? <laughs> They're incredible. Thumbs, guys, come on. Like, imagine life without them and all the dexterity and the feeling you get in them. Have you ever held a baby and looked into their snotty little face <laughs> and their fat little toes and just been like, oh my, God, God didn't have to do it that way, but he did. We serve a generous, generous God. 
who gives us more than we could ever ask or imagine. And uh, we have been in this teaching series called Living Above and Beyond. And we've been going through some like core values of our church family. Family, if you look out in the lobby, there uh, are some framed words above the coffee bar out there, and I kind of reference those every week. But those are our five core values, and they've been guiding us for a really long time. And so in week one, we talked about the value. We value tearing down walls and building bridges. We've always said we're church for people who don't like church. If people have walls up between them and God and they're unnecessary, we've got to do what we can to make a way, right, and build a bridge for them. The second week, we talked about our value of creating pockets of heaven. This was Jesus' mission. He doesn't come into this world so that we can, like, get baptized and then die one day and go to heaven, like, and there's nothing in the middle. No, he came so that we would build a kingdom, that we would make a difference here. And so our role, if you know Jesus, is to go into the world and create pockets of heaven everywhere that you go. That's a value that we have. My favorite so far has been last week. Perry got up here and did a great job preaching. If you're a parent in this room and you weren't here last week and didn't hear what Perry had to say about our value of we value the next generation, go look on our podcast or check out our our YouTube page because he says some things you need to hear. It's really important as parents to understand our role with our kids and then all of us with all the kids. But maybe the coolest part was having some of our teenagers up on stage. Wasn't that great? And then a few of him up there and talking about their, uh, going to the Carolina Christian Youth Conference and what it meant to them and how it has impacted their life. We value the next generation. These are our values. Next week, we'll talk about the value. We value owning your own growth. No one can do it for you. No one can come alongside you and be like, all right, you lift weights, get strong. No, you have to go to the gym. You have to wake up in the morning. And the same thing's true uh, with our spiritual life. You got to own it. So we'll talk about that next week. But this week, guys, we value hilarious generosity. Hilarious generosity. If you've been along for very long around here, uh, you've heard us say that phrase, hilarious generosity. And I, I got to give credit where credit's due. I, I heard this phrase first from my good buddy, Nathan Henderson. Nathan, if you know Nathan, uh, he, he's one of the most generous people that I've ever met with his life anyway. But like, he's a, he's a Bible scholar. and He's a good guy. He's a good friend. He also serves on our finance team. And one day we were talking, he was talking to us about 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. And he, and he pointed something out that uh, I had never noticed before, I'd never seen before. I've confirmed it with commentaries and Greek and stuff. But he said this thing, but I want to read you the passage real quick. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. It'll be on the screen here. You can follow along. It says, remember this. Whoever spares, sorry, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give What you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And it's that word cheerful that I want to focus on for just a minute. Uh, This, the Bible that we have today, our New Testament at least, was originally written in Greek, and so it's been translated into English, and and there's a lot of nuance that we kind of, over time, we kind of have to go back and rediscover. And the the word for cheerful there is a Greek word, hilaros, hilaros, and the word can mean cheerful. It can mean joyful. It can actually mean like prompt and willing to jump in and serve. Like I want to go. So if you got that person who's like always ready to go, they're they're Hilleros. They're ready to go. They're ready to jump in. They're ready to help out. They're ready to do things. But it also has the same root word as our English word, hilarious. Hilleros. God loves a Hilleros giver. The idea being like, you know what? I give because my heart overflows. I give because I'm excited. I serve and I do and I love other people because it's important to me and I want to do it and I'm prompt and willing to go. I'm Hilleros. And so we joke around saying like when it comes to our church's generosity, we want to be hilariously generous. Now, we, we might take a little liberty with it. I'm going to be honest with you. But we want to say, look, 
When the world, when a business owner, when someone who manages people's stocks for them, come and look at how our church manages uh, generosity and, and, and stewardship and manages uh, you know, charity and stuff like that, they would look at us and go like, that's ridiculous. What you're doing there is ridiculous. What you're doing there is hilarious. It's hilarious. And that because our hearts are in the right place, we as a family can go, yeah, isn't it? Isn't it great? Isn't it cheerful? Isn't it joyful? Uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary gives this idea of hilaros, or hilarious, saying that it means uh, boisterous merriment. You, can you see it? You know that guy? You know that girl? They're boisterously merry all the time, just kind of like jolly, <laughs> right? And so there's a joy to it. When it comes to talking about money, let's put this in a box, and church, let's put that in a box. And, and when you talk about money and church together, people get the creepy crawlies, like, <laughs> because the church has been pretty bad about talking about money through the centuries. We've been, uh, it's been bad. There's been people who have taken advantage of people. There's been, uh, you know, people who have, you know, stolen money. There's been people who have made false claims and not followed through with it. And so to combat that, uh, really, that's maybe greed. That's one motivator of, of our finances, whether it's organizationally or personally. To combat greed, you always combat greed with generosity. So we as a finance team and our leadership, we say, you know what? We're always going to give first. We're always going to give first. We want to be hilariously generous. Now, this lesson today is not about, hey, we moved into a building and we're talking about how do we pay for this thing. It's not that. It's not, hey, we're doing a, two services soon and we want to make sure everybody's giving more money to take care of that. It's not about that. Actually, today, I want to tell you something. You do not have to give money to our church. You don't. In fact, God doesn't want you to unless you've decided in your heart and you're doing it cheerfully. So that's just between you and God. But you know what he's calling every one of us to do? is to be generous in the way that he is generous. Everywhere, whether it's in the context of our church community or the people that we're neighbors with or the people that we work with or the people that you go to school with. Because when we are generous to the world, we are showing them the heart of God. So let's talk about that a little bit today. Uh, if you've got a Bible, grab it. We're going to be in the book of Matthew to start with. Uh, it's in the New Testament of our Bible. Uh, if you need a Bible, we always have free Bibles we give away. Uh, they're in the lobby. You can always just jump up and go grab one or get one before you leave today. It's yours to keep or you just want to borrow it for church. That's fine. Then put it back when you go. It's on the shelf right as you exit the door. Look it up on your phone. Read it on the screen. I'm going to tell you this, though. Don't be a person who hears the word of God and doesn't try to uh, uh, reinforce it by looking at it with your eyes. And so try, try to find ways that you can always get in there and, and read it or take notes or whatever. But we're going to start out in uh, the book of Matthew, and there's a section called the Sermon on the Mount. I've talked about it a lot of times. We actually did a whole series through it this past summer. And the idea is that Jesus has this kind of opus work of teachings, and he goes through all of them, and he talks about all these important things. And, and when you land in chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, this is uh, one of the biographies of Jesus. Chapter 6 is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 19, he starts with this little dialogue about our relationship with our money. Um, and along with money, you could fill in possessions, uh, you could even probably fill in any other type of like physical thing that you manage, okay? So property, stocks, like all that kind of stuff. Uh, because God gets us and he knows that we're very motivated by that. Many of us would not get out of bed to go to work if there wasn't a paycheck every two weeks, right? This is very motivating. Even people who hate their job are motivated by their paycheck. And God knows that about us. So he says, let's talk about your relationship with your money. Because I've given it to you and I want to make sure that you have it. But I also want to make sure your relationship is healthy. He calls it treasures. Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. This is Jesus. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Well, because on earth our treasures are eaten by moths and vermin and they're destroyed and thieves break in and steal our treasures. They're, they're temporary. They're not going to last. 
but store for yourself treasures in heaven. Because moth and vermin do not destroy them there, and thieves can't break in and steal your heavenly treasures. And this is the zinger. This is the one you probably heard before. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you know this. We've looked at this passage in the past, and I just want you to think about the stuff that is motivated in your, in your life. Think about that summer that you worked so hard as a teenager for that Schwinn bicycle. I don't know what it is. Like that summer, you, were, you mowed so many lawns, and you washed so many dishes, and you were putting them in the little coffee can or the piggy bank or put, letting your mom hold it in an envelope somewhere, and you worked, and you worked, and you worked, and you worked, and you were so motivated by that. Think about that. Think about that car that you did, your dream car, and you made so many payments on that thing. It was at 15% interest for only eight years. <laughs> oh, man, but it was mine's. And it smelled just like the, the pine tree I hung on the windshield. Like, it was your car, okay? It was beautiful. And you were motivated by that thing. That piece of jewelry or that cute pair of shoes. Oh, I had to have it. I probably shouldn't have got it. Put it on the credit card. Think about it. Now, unless you're still using or wearing that thing today, there's a good chance, I want to take you out. Now, where is that treasure now? How many of them are getting dusty in your parents' attic? How many of them are sitting on the top shelf in a closet that you never go in? How many of them are sitting on a used car lot somewhere? How many of them are in a plastic bag at the bottom of a landfill? But they motivated us so much at one point in our life. And we know this instinctively. You know, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. But how much of that stuff motivates? How many, how many of us work so many hours that we miss like a third of our kids' childhood? Why do we do it? Well, I got to provide my kid with so much stuff. They go to this, this school that costs so much money, or they got to have these shoes, or being in this club. And I'm going to guess you that they would trade you the school and the shoes for a little more time with mom or dad. But in the moment, we're so motivated by our treasures. And so Jesus is, I want to make this clear. I think God blesses us with the treasures. I think that he's, he's for it. There's a scripture that says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. I think that he loves the cute shoes. Jesus is for your cute shoes, okay? He's fine with it. He wants your cool car. He wants, he wants your bicycle for you. If that's the thing that you need at this time or if you're able to do it within reason, that's fine. Jesus is not sitting here as a stick in the mud going, no, 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 you don't need anything. But what he's saying is at what cost, at what cost did you lay down your life to have these things? And are they your treasures? Is that where your heart is? If we evaluated really quickly, you know the scenario. My house is burning down and I can only take one thing out. <laughs> like, what is it? And you immediately go to something sentimental or maybe you're working hard to get... Of course, your kids or your pets out. So like, you know, quickly, you, you prioritize. Quick, quickly, in the moment. People have had to make these decisions, right? So he says, instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. What is that? I have really spun on this verse for years. Like, what is, what is a treasure in heaven? Like, what's the list? Like, what is on that list? And I think it might probably be a little different for each of us, but here's some ideas. I mean, relationships are clearly more spiritually driven, maybe. There's a soul-to-soul -soul interaction there. Uh, maybe doing some of the things like spending time with the oppressed or the outcast and the marginalized, like building time with them, that's, that's a treasure. Maybe pouring into something more like a passion or a hobby that gives you richer enjoyment than just stuff that's going to be in a landfill one day or, or, or a yard sale with a handwritten sticker that says, 
$3.40. Like, it's like, this is something I can hold on to. I don't, I don't know exactly what treasures in heaven are like categorically necessarily, but this is kind of where I boiled it down to. I think that a treasure in heaven is anything that's building God's kingdom. Like, let that settle. What was Jesus's, I've said this a couple weeks ago, what was Jesus's like number one topic when he preached? The kingdom of heaven. He's always talking about it. He is always talking about the kingdom of heaven. So my instinct is that when Jesus is talking about store up for yourself treasures in heaven, what he's saying is work on the kingdom of God. Do, and so that's about people. That's also about you. That's about our relationship with God. That's about reflecting God into the world, shine light in dark places. We say it every week. And so that's something to chew on. That's something to chew on. I think any, any good teaching we get from Jesus actually leaves us with questions, and we dig, and we ask. That's the good thing. Uh, Jesus' teaching doesn't often leave us with, like, straight black and white answers. I mean, go look. He, he's, just, he's like, I want you to think. I want you to ask. And so he gives us this. And this is just kind of a picture, a snapshot. Like, what is our relationship with our money? We're talking about being hilariously generous. I don't know that this passage is really about generosity. It can certainly be applied to generosity. But I think it's just kind of a, a baseline, like a foundation for our relationship with this thing that's so important to us. God knows our heart. Later in this passage, he says this thing. He says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. When Jesus is thinking about the two masters we might serve, which two does he pick? God or money? So I think he gets us, right? That's fair? You think it's fair? I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's where Jesus goes. These are his words. So we fast forward. We look at another story. We're going to flip over to the book of Mark. This is another one of the biographies of Jesus's life. And in the book of Mark, this scene is going down, and I want to just read it to you, but I want you to notice there's a moment where Jesus is observing this thing happen, and then he calls his disciples over. He's like, come look at this, come look at this, okay? And then what they see leads to his lesson. So this is in Mark, we'll be in chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, and in verse 41, Jesus is near the temple at this point, he's in Jerusalem. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and she put in two very small copper coins, only worth a few cents. So then calling his disciples to him, this is the moment. Hey guys, come here, check this out. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything everything, all she had to live on. I want to call this what it is. This is a weird story. <laughs> uh, we have a bucket at the end of the service every week most of you know about. It's a purple bucket. People put their, you know, new here cards in there, and you might put other volunteer cards and stuff, and then people put offering in the bucket. And we say every week, listen, you don't have to put money in this bucket. You never have to pay to hang out with Venture Church. We want this to be a free service for anyone who needs it. Like, we say that all the time, right? But imagine if there was a group of dudes sitting right here by the door, and they're just like watching the bucket. And as people went by, they were like, ooh, ah, huh, <laughs> right? That's weird. Culturally, we don't do that. Like, that's the thing. It's like, this is private, but wh why? Why are they doing this? Why is Jesus doing this? So, so the way I understand it is this, uh, and doing a little bit of reading. In, in the temple, um, there was this area with these 13 bronze boxes at, at this time of the temple. And each one of them was labeled with like a different fund, like, I don't know what, like, maybe we, we need uh, some new paint on the exterior wall of the temple. I don't know. Maybe we need, maybe we're trying to help out this certain group of, of widows or this, this certain community who's short on food. Or maybe we're trying to do this and this for improvements around the temple. Like, I don't know exactly what the boxes were. But the habit was people would come and they would come and drop money in these boxes. The, the predominant form of money is coins. 
metal box, metal coins. And so you got this moment where these really wealthy people are coming in, and what are they doing? Fistfuls of coins, clang, 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 bloom, clang, clang, and they're making all kinds of noise. Now, my understanding from just reading a little bit about the culture and stuff that happened was that this was common. And it was kind of like a little bit of a little peacocking, if you know what I'm saying. Like, check it out. Boom, you get a coin, you get a denarii. I don't know, you're throwing it in these 13 boxes, and it was kind of for attention. Now, the heart of it wasn't always attention. These people wanted to help the various funds that were being funded, but it was easy to kind of stand around and be like, oh, what's old Nicodemus going to do today? (laughs) Good one, Nick. Hey, I see what you're doing there. You know, it's a bit of a spectacle to the point where it's not even weird where Jesus is standing there. I'm I'm sure he's just clang-a-lang-a-lang, clang-a-lang-a-lang. He's just watching, and then something begins to happen. Now, you got to understand about Jesus. He always, almost always, I want to say always, but it's one of his favorite things to do to use object lessons. He'll be in a place and be like, see this farmer? All right, check it out. So let's imagine there's a farmer in a field and he tells some story about a farmer in a field. And so the disciples are well aware of this phenomenon with Jesus. And so Jesus is like, hey guys, come here, check this out. They've seen some cool stuff, okay? They've seen people healed from being paralyzed. They've seen blind people receive their sight. They've seen people raised from the dead. They've seen Jesus walk on water, I think, by this point in his life. They've seen some amazing things. Jesus is going toe-to-toe with big uh, political and religious leaders. He's giving these amazing sermons. And so they're like, oh, Jesus calls us. This is it. This is one of those days, right? Come on, check this out. Did you see it? And they're like, what? What are we looking at? There she goes. And the lesson was there was this little old lady who dropped some insignificant coins in a box. Let's talk about the lady. Uh, We don't know much about her. We don't know much about her, but what we do know is that what she put in was very little. When you talk about the temple, this is Old Testament, and when you talk about God's heart for people's generosity, uh, part of it was like there was a communal system of taking care of the temple and the priests. That was just how it worked. And so they just basically, it was Mosaic law. Like 10% of your income is going to go to the work of the temple. And everyone understood that. And this is how the, the whole Levite tribe survived. And this is how the temple upkeep happened and all this stuff worked. And it took care of people out of that money too. It was just kind of the understanding. 10% is 10%. It's a scalable percentage-based giving. It's actually a pretty good system. We use it with our taxes, right? I don't know if that's a good system, but we do it. Because 10%, if you're a billionaire, is 10%. 10%, if you make six fifty an hour, is 10%. Everyone's doing 10%. All right, it's, it's phenomenal that this lady even shows up to put some money in the bucket. The, the coins that she's using are worth just pennies to us, right? It's just nothing. But do you see what, see what she gave? She put in everything she had to live on. These are Jesus' words. Mark Moore is a scholar that I read a lot. I love Dr. Moore. I was going to read you a quote in his commentary about this section. He's got a, a book called The Life of Christ. I recommend it. You can read it for devotional reading. It's, it's very readable. He says this, God doesn't measure gifts with a scale, but with a thermometer. He looks at the size of the sacrifice, not the size of the denomination. People can only see that which is given, but God sees that which is kept. This woman has given more than all the rich because she kept nothing. That's God's heart for generosity. This is a God who held nothing back from us. 
This is a God who blesses us with more than we can ever ask or imagine. Let me look at a couple other scriptures just to kind of build in and reinforce more of this thought from scripture. Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Isn't that neat to think of generosity as refreshing someone? You've been refreshed. Someone brought you a cool beverage, and you're like, oh, man, that hit the spot. And when you love on someone and you take care of them and you go out of your way to do something for them that you didn't have to do, and you're under your bed with your little orthopedic shoes hanging out the back, you didn't have to do that. Yeah, but you wanted to. Let's look at Acts 20, verse 35. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You've heard this. People are like, Benjamin Franklin said that. I mean, Jesus had it quoted first. Um, you've experienced this on Christmas morning. It's cool to get presents, but when you had that special thing that you bought for your kids or that special somebody, you're like, open it, open it. You feel it, right? This is from the heart of God. That's why you feel that way. That's how he created us. Philippians 4.19, the Apostle Paul is going through this, uh, this. Philippians chapter 4 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, by the way, just if you cared. And he's going through a lot. He deals with anxiety and stress and stuff in that, that passage. But he says, listen, I know what it is to have plenty. And I know what it is to have little. But one thing I know for sure, I can be content. Because I can do all things. All things. All things being, I can do it if I got plenty. I can do it if I've got little. I can do all this. Through Christ who gives me strength. That's where I find my motivating power. Not through the stuff or the lack of stuff. And then he says this in verse 19, Philippians 4:19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We don't have to keep a tight hold on our stuff because God is going to provide us with what we need. But it's hard to let go. And, and I, I was thinking about why is it hard to let go. And it, for me, it landed on a single word. The word is fear. It's the what if. What if. What if I, what if, if I stop and help this guy right now, I'm going to be late for work. If I'm generous with my time, then what about later, right? It's, there's a fear in that. If I share this food, I might not have enough later this week. That's a real thing that some people live in, maybe people in this room right now. If I support this organization and what they're doing, what if I can't pay my bills later? Is that rational? Yeah, it's very rational. And so there is discernment and prayer and discovery and a process of deciding what's wise for me. I mean, God also wants you to take care of your family. He also wants you. But then there's also the thing of going, wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second. Do I have more than I even need? Maybe I could actually get rid of some of this and still do that. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of moving pieces that you can move around. But if all I'm thinking about is the fear of what if, what if, what if, what if. But hilarious generosity, hilarious generosity, the cheerful overflowing like, oh, I'm so glad to crawl under my bed and give you whatever I got. That above and beyond generosity says, so what? Because God's love endures forever. And he's never going to leave me or forsake me. And he's always going to provide me with what I need. This is the journey we go through. But it's really important for us to understand the heart of our God. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, this is, I think, in chapter 7, Jesus is talking about these same kind of ideas. He says, you know what, like, if, dads, moms, if your child came to you and asked for some bread, would, would you give them a rock? 
And the audience is like, well, some of my kids, yeah, maybe. But no, most good kids, you would. if they asked for some fish, would you give them a snake? No, you wouldn't do that. Well, if you, though you are evil, are able to do good things for your children, how much more is your heavenly father going to take care of you? These are Jesus' words. And then following that is the golden rule. So I say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Your kindergarten teacher didn't make that up either. These are the words of Jesus. This is the heart of God. This is what he wants to do. Open-handedness to the world around us. What if, what if, what if? This week I want to give us a challenge. And I always try to leave us with a challenge, something tangible we can do. I'm going to tell you something. This is going to be hard. To get there, to get to the challenge, I, I want to read uh, from an Old Testament prophet, uh, Malachi chapter 3. This is common. Remember I talked about the temple system and the 10%. The 10% was called a tithe. The word tithe just means tenth. It's just a language thing. And so he's talking to a group of Jews who practice the tithe. And he's, this, is, this is the prophet Malachi speaking as the voice of God. And he says this. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Come bring it. He says bring it. Trust God. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Because that's how they took care of the temple and the priest and all that stuff. And this is an amazing phrase. God says, test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. What type of treasure is he going to pour out? I'm going to skip and try to apply Jesus here. I think the treasures we're going to be blessed with are treasures in heaven. In this earth, the kingdom of God in this earth. Some people mispreach this as a prosperity lesson to say, listen, if you give money and you seed into ministry, you're going to also be a millionaire one day. I have not experienced that myself yet. <laughs> if you have, good for you. But I don't think that's the way that it works. But the Hilleros generosity, hilariously generous, says, I'm not here for that anyway. I'm here to reflect the heart of God in the world, and if they have a need, I want to do what I can to meet that need, to love my neighbor as myself, to do to them as I would hope they would do unto me if I was in need. And so this is our challenge this week. This week, put God's faithfulness to the test. Here's our, here's our challenge. Test God's faithfulness. Dear Lord, I pray that I'm applying the scripture correctly. <laughs> but I'm telling you, this has been my experience. Test God's faithfulness by practicing hilarious generosity. Because ultimately what's missing when we try to keep a white knuckle grip on our stuff is faith that it's going to be okay. Not to mention how much stress our stuff brings. Have you ever owned a boat? You know what you buy when you buy boats? Boat problems. That's what you paid for. Right? And it's true with all of our stuff. God blesses us with every good and perfect gift, but man, you got the boat? Man, what does it mean to... Look at a family with that's never going to be able to afford a boat. Be like, hey, you want to go out this weekend? I'll pay for the gas. I'll bring some sandwiches. That's generous. You see the difference? Like there's a point in scripture where God tells this one dude, like, if you want to honor me, you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He tells that one guy that. And I think it was because that one guy, he had a heart problem. He had a heart problem. God knew within his heart. So maybe you have a heart problem and maybe you need to sell everything you got, give it to the poor and live in that faith. Maybe you do. I, this is Jesus' word. Don't get mad at me. But also, I've seen some very generous people who are able to have the stuff and bless other people immensely. And maybe that's the lane you need to ride in. The antidote to fear 
the medicine for this fear, I believe, is testimony. Uh, I could stand right here, and I won't because I've done it before. I'll do some a little bit right now, but I could tell you story after story after story. How God has blessed my family, taken care of my family, and we are family who, I say this in all humility, and I don't like to bring it out, but I know as a leader, you're supposed to like at least lead by example. We live our life by the concept of hilarious generosity. We do it. And there's been times where we're like, ooh, this hurts. But we've decided in our heart to do it, and we're going to do it joyfully. And then to be blown away when we are absolutely fine <laughs> later. And I have the stories. Maybe you've heard the stories. Literally, there's a bill due. And suddenly it's like, whoa, there was this unexpected refund that just shows up in the mail that I filed for three years ago. And lo and behold, it happens to be like within 10 cents of the bill that I owe. I'm telling you, my wife and I will be in tears telling these stories if we got up here and started doing it. And here's what I know because I know our church family. You guys could line up right here and you could tell story after story after story after story after story. I trusted God with my life and I stepped away from this job because I felt God was calling me to this job, which paid a lot less. And yeah, we had to sell our house, but let me tell you what, it saved my marriage. And then I was able to do so much more for the kingdom of God. Our church family has been like this. I don't know if all of you are aware of this, but when we first began and, and Lindsay and I were church planters, we were essentially missionaries. And we went around to generous congregations and individuals around the state of North Carolina and Virginia and talked to them about what we were doing, about you guys forecasting that we want people to come to Jesus. And we were like, but here's the thing, we can't pay for any of it. So we're just trusting on your generosity. And for years, ask our finance team, 60, 70% of our church's operating funds came from people who Never come to Wilmington. But out of the generosity of their heart, they allowed this to be born. Testimony is the antidote of fear. Listen. Listen to people who have been there. Ask questions. And God says, if you need something else, test me in this. Lay it on the line. I will not let you down. We serve a generous God. As I close, I can't, I can't not say this. God's ultimate generosity was that he said, like the widow in the temple, I'm not going to hold anything back. And he looked at our situation in this world and he looked at our brokenness, particularly our sin, and the thing that separates us from God's work in our life because of our own selfishness. And he said, I've got a plan for that. You know what his plan was? God, Jesus, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something that he should hold on to, is the word. This is Philippians chapter 2 I'm quoting. Jesus didn't white-knuckle heaven. No, 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 I'm not going. No, he didn't consider it something to hold on to. Rather, he made himself nothing. And by taking the very nature of, the, of a servant and becoming in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, God humbled himself. And he became obedient. God becoming obedient? What? Obedient to death. Even death on a cross. That's the generosity of our God. In a couple of weeks, we're celebrating Easter. And I got to tell you something. The story of Jesus is not a story about a man who died. It's a story about a God who came near and lived. The next verse in Philippians 2 says, Therefore, God exalted him 
to the highest place. And he gave Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whoo! Hilaros. Jesus had some moments where he was like, this is hard. You've been there? Yeah. Even God in the flesh was like, man, is there another way? Have we thought this all the way out? But then he said, if this is the will, I'm doing it. He laid down his life. Why? I think it was because his plan for redeeming the world was Jesus. But he wanted people to know through you and me. He wanted to invite us into that mission of tearing down walls and building bridges, creating pockets of heaven, valuing the next generation, owning our own growth, and being hilariously generous to those around us so that they can see the love of God and be drawn near to his salvation. Let me pray for us today.